Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of A Light Into My Path podcast. I'm your host Howard Sides. Uh, today uh, it's a little bit different setup. I'm coming to you from the our vacation spot at Carolina Beach. So <laughs> uh, I'm sure you're going to hear all kind of weird sounds. I can't quite cut off all the noise. The air conditioner will come on and everything else. So Anyway, I figured I'd take the time to try and get a couple of these podcasts out while we're here. And uh, we'll pick up our study uh, in Revelation chapter 5. And we've covered the first uh, five points that we see in chapter 5. The first um, five of seven. I believe it's seven. Oh, there's, sorry, actually there's eight. And I'll try and finish that uh, part of the study today. And uh, we'll kind of review a little bit, just catch you up if you are not familiar with where we're at. Um, the first observation we see, or the first point we covered in chapter 5, verse 1, is the observation. Verse 1 is the observation. Uh, the second thing is the proclamation in verse 2. The third thing is the investigation verse number three uh the fourth point is the lamentation in verse number four and then the fifth one is the manifestation uh the manifestation is the first part of verse five and then it also includes verses six and seven so the first part of five and then verse six and seven and then we're going to pick up today with the sixth point, which is the consolation, which is the second half of verse uh, five. And uh, trying to get down to my point here. Okay. All right. So uh, we'll pick up in Revelation chapter five and verse number five. We'll read that. And... Uh, Continue down to, hopefully, well, we, yeah, we'll finish the chapter today. I'm pretty sure we'll heal. All right, uh, Revelation chapter 5 and verse 5. And it says, uh, And one of the elders said unto me, Weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints." And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and hath made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beasts and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, 
Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. Okay, so again, we're picking up the second half of verse 5. Uh, and we're talking about the consolation, the sixth point, the consolation, where it says, uh, Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. Okay, so the first point is that this constellation is telling us, first of all, who he is, and then second of all, what he has done. Uh, the first point, who he is, we see that in the phrase, the lion of the tribe of Judah. And this refers to the prophecy that was given all the way back in the very first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 49, Genesis chapter 49, and verses 9 through 10. And we read that, it says, Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, thou art gone up. He stooped down, he couched as a lion and as an old lion. Who shall rouse him up? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh come, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. And so what we see in that verse uh, is, first of all, that it tells us that Judah was to be the royal lineage. In other words, the bloodline of the king should always be in Judah's bloodline. Uh, the second point we see is that the lion was going to be Judah's symbol, and it represents, of course, the king of beasts, which still does today, even in our day. Um, the second phrase that uh, tells us a little about uh, who he is is in that phrase, the root of David. Now, a root, when you think of a tree... Uh, we know that, of course, the roots are necessary for the tree to be alive. Uh, in essence, the root has to be, has to come first. So when it says the root of David, uh, we understand it to be that something that, someone that was in place even before David. And then, of course, being in Revelation when it's talking about him taking over, it would be after David. So how are you before and after? And, and of course, there's two points to bring out about that. Of course, first of all, there is the bloodline, in other words, following David, and then there's the beginning, uh, which would be before David. But we'll talk about the bloodline first, although it's kind of backwards, but that's just the way I put it in here. Uh, so the bloodline is mentioned in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 through 14. <clears throat> 2 Samuel, chapter 7, verses 12 through 14, it says, And when thy days be fulfilled, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. Okay, so there's the bloodline. Now the beginning, that means the root. It indicates that Jesus was both after 
and before David, as we mentioned before. And uh, Jesus actually brings this point up while, uh, during his ministry on earth. Uh, Matthew chapter 22, uh, when he starts talking about it, and I believe I've got the reference wrong here. I've got verses 41 through 16. I don't think that's right. Uh, well, all right, I missed trying to get that right. But it is Matthew chapter 22. I'm pretty sure of that. Bear with me a moment because I'm going to look it up make sure it's right. I won't tell you wrong. Matthew 22. Okay, it's 41 through 46. I thought that might be what it was. All right, Matthew 22, 41 through 46. Okay, let me read that. Uh, it says, While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, saying, What think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? And they say unto him, The son of David. He saith unto them, How then doth David in spirit call him Lord, saying, The Lord said, un, uh, the Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. If David then call him Lord, how is he his son? And no man was able to answer him a word, neither durst any man from that day forward ask him any more questions. <laughs> so, that I mean, that was a pretty good question there. <laughs> uh, okay, well, what? how does David refer to him? Well, as Lord. Well, then how does he refer to him as Lord? And the quote there, um, what it's talking about, is, is quoting uh, Psalms 110 and verse 1. Yeah, Psalms 110 and verse 1, where David said, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. That, that was, he's quoting what David said himself there. So uh, apparently he stumped them with that question. And, and I, you know, you can get that. I mean, here he is, he's walking among them. Uh, how, to, how can they answer that question? They really don't know. All right, so that uh, basically covers the point of who he is. Uh, now, the second point of that is what he has done. What he has done. Uh, we see that in the phrase of hath prevailed. Hath prevailed. And basically, prevailed here means conquered. Prevailed means conquered. Um, not that the victory consisted in the opening of the book. Okay, because you remember now the question that was posed to them was who is worthy to open the book? And none was found until this lamb presented himself. I remember that was what was going on in uh, the end of chapter 4 coming into chapter 5. Uh, so they were looking for someone worthy to open this seven-sealed book. And this lamb presents himself, which is the Son of God, it's Jesus Christ, and he's worthy. So uh, that hath prevailed is not the fact that he can open the book, uh, but the ability to open the book was a result of the former act. And verse 9 confirms this saying, uh, Thou art worthy, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood. So when you ask the question, what is it, what, where did he prevail? What did he do? Uh, he made us worthy by volunteering to be slain, 
and he redeemed us through his blood. Because again, uh, the only blood that can completely eradicate and erase sin, if you want to put it that way, is the blood of Jesus Christ. It's pure uh, and holy blood. Alright, so uh, that covers the sixth point in chapter 5. Now we'll move on to the seventh one, which is the supplication in verse 8. The supplication. And we we'll read verse 8 and it says, And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of saints. Okay, so that first part of the phrase, and when he had taken the book, so we see there that Christ has taken the book. He's worthy of it. Uh, so the book is given to him to open. And when he takes the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders uh, fall down before the Lamb. And you, and you notice the reference here is always about the Lamb. It's not referring to him as the Lord. The point here is that he was the sacrificial Lamb. And, th and that's what chapter 5 is pointing out. He's worthy because he was the Lamb. Okay? So the beasts and the elders prostrate themselves uh, before him in worship. And it also shows us here that this Lamb, uh, as you read that, this Lamb is in capital letter L, uh, and it's not just an ordinary lamb. It's not just an ordinary creature. This is an extraordinary, uh, not extraordinary, but extraordinary <laughs> uh, lamb. Okay? Uh, also, uh, the next part of that phrase, having every one of them harps and golden vials of odors, which are the prayers of saints. Now, there's three specifics mentioned about what they were holding here. Uh, the first, of course, is the harps. And the harps, of course, represent the song. Uh, they play the harps when they sing the song, so the harps are associated with the song. And the second thing here is the golden vials. That talks about the savor. Uh, of course, uh, the vials would have been a type of a bowl which would have burned the incense inside of them, and that savor, the scent uh, in, the tent, in the tabernacle was burning them bowls, and it would have lifted up into God's nostrils and talked about a sweet savor unto um, God the Father. So these golden vials represent the Savior. Now, uh, I want to point out a, a specific here. Uh, it mentions vials and not simply a cup. Now, we know cup is a word that is used. My cup runneth over. Uh, so the cup, the word cup was in uh, the language of that day, and it could have, if, if the original was right, then it would have been translated as cup. But we see here that they use the word vial. So what is the difference between a cup and a vial? Now the word for cup in the Greek is potirion. Potirion. And basically it means what you would think, a drinking vessel, uh, including the contents thereof such as if you say a cup full, it's the same word. And it's, a fig, it's figurative of a lot or a fate. A lot or a fate, like when you draw the lot, you know, when you cast the lots or draw the lots. Uh, it's a fate. And it's referenced four times in the book of Revelation, uh, this word cup, uh, in chapter 14 and verse 10, chapter 16 and verse 19, chapter 17 and verse 4, and chapter 18 and verse 6. So four times the word cup is referenced. Every reference is connected with a specific judgment of wrath, a specific 
judgment of wrath. Now, the first reference, Revelation 14.10, is uh, uh, concerning those who received the mark of the beast and worshipped him. So that cup is poured out on them. Uh, the second reference is to uh, six, chapter 16, verse 19, talks about Babylon. So the reference is to Babylon. Chapter 17 and verse 4 is in reference to the harlot. And uh, Revelation 18.6, it's Babylon again, and it actually mentions a double portion. It references Babylon again as a double portion. <clears throat> and of course, we'll get into that when we get to chapter 18, but uh, Babylon, when we say Babylon, you have to remember that there's two parts to it. There, there's the, the political side and then the religious side, okay? So the double portion would cover both of them, though, I think. But we'll get into that when we get that far. Okay, all right, now the word vile. Uh, the word vile uh, is the Greek word phiele, uh, phiele. And it means a broad, shallow cup. Um, another word we could use is like a bowl. A bowl looks like a cup, whereas a cup has high sides and a uh, smaller dimension to it. A bowl has a wider dimension, but is shallower. Okay? And this word, vile, is referenced 12 times in Revelation. Uh, chapter 5 and verse 8, which is where we're at here. And then in chapter 15 and verse 7. And when you get into chapter 16, it, it mentions it quite uh, a few times in verses 1, 2, 3, 4, verse 8 verse 10, verse 12, and verse 17, all in chapter 16. <clears throat> and most of that is when those vials are being poured out. Uh, we'll get to that uh, pretty soon, I hope. Uh, chapter 17 and verse 1 also references, and then the last reference is in chapter 21 and verse 9. Chapter 21 and verse 9. Now here in verse 5 and 8, it references the prayers of the saints. Now, every revelation in, in chapter 16 is connected with the earth or nature. And ironically, as it fits out, there are seven of them in chapter 16. Uh, verse 2, on the earth. Verse 3 is on the sea. Verse 4, on the rivers and fountains of water. Uh, verse 8, on the sun. Verse 10, on the seat of the beast. That would be the kingdom of earth. Verse 12 on the river Euphrates and verse 17 is into the air. And then the last two references uh, describe the angel who holds the seven vials of wrath. <clears throat> now, the cup wraths indicated by the deep structure, which we talked about, remember, like a cup, are long-term or sometimes even permanent, while the vial wraths indicated by the shallow structure are temporary excuse me, temporary. So when the cup is poured out, uh, that type of judgment, okay, sorry about the interruption there, but um, okay, so the cup wraths uh, are a deep cup. They last a long time, they're long term, and the vile wraths are shallow and are temporary. And uh, the okay, so that covers the cups. Now let's look at the third thing in reference to what the... Uh, um, the beasts and the, the elders are holding. We mentioned the harps, reference the songs, 
the golden vials, the savor, and then finally the prayers of the saints, which represent uh, the supplication. Uh, now, if you look ahead in Revelation chapter 8, verses 3 through 4, it kind of describes it a little bit about what we're talking about here. It says, And another angel came and stood at the altar having a golden censer. And there was given unto him much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of the saints ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. And again, we'd mentioned that before with the tabernacle. And it's a picture here of tabernacle or temple service. The, temple, the tabernacle was a mobile structure where the temple was a uh, solid structure. You know, it, it didn't move. But the incense was offered by priests while prayers were offered by the people. In Revelation chapter 5, the elders are officiating in the temple on behalf of the church as offering the incense before the throne of God. Now an interesting note here is that the elders here in Revelation 5 nor the angel in Revelation 8 offer up prayers themselves but rather offer up the incense which represents the prayers of saints on earth. All right, and that brings us to our final point, uh, the exaltation. The exaltation, uh, which is covered verses 9, 9 through 14. So it covers the second half of the whole chapter here, verses 9 through 14. And it's, it's basically referencing a single event, so that's why it is. But uh, there are... Uh, two points to bring out in these verses. One is the song, and then the second is the singers. The song and the singers. And you'll see there uh, in verse 9, we'll read that again. It says, And they uh, sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For, or basically saying, Because, Thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation and hast made us unto our God kings and priests and we shall reign on the earth. All right, so um, there's a reference here to a new song. Why is there the need of a new song? Well, basically the key is in that phrase, thou wast slain and hast redeemed. Uh, at this point, the work of redemption is now completed. So there's the requirement of a new song to be sung. Uh, things have changed. And, and you say, well, why is the redemption work complete? It's because the church has been raptured out. Uh, the work continues in us while we're here on earth. Uh, we never reach a final state of being worked on while we're on earth. Uh, it's only completed when we are uh, taken to heaven, either through death or through the rapture. So once that happens and we receive our um, new bodies and that sort of thing, uh, the, the work of redemption is complete. We are made holy. Okay, so that's what it's talking about. So once that event takes place and we receive our, our new uh, bodies and all of that, uh, our song will change. Okay. So that's the song, uh, now the singers. And there's a couple of points to point out there. First of all, their diversity. Their diversity. Verses 9 through 11 talks about it. All the different uh, uh, 
I don't want to say people, but the different characters involved. There we go. <laughs> uh, it includes the elders. It includes the beasts. And it includes a numbered amount of angels. We're actually given a numbered amount of angels. And it's in that phrase, 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. Now, if you've ever really thought about the math on that, 10,000 times 10,000, well, that equals 100 million. That's 10,000 times 10,000. comes out to 100 million. And then you take the thousands of thousands. Well, you take 1,000 times 1,000. That's another 1 million. And then the phrase actually has an S on the end of it, thousands of thousands. So there's actually more than a thousand times a thousand. So basically what you're coming up with is at a very minimum at least 101 million angels. So if you've ever tried to put a number on how many angels there are, uh, that'll give you at least a starting point. A <laughs> hundred million angels. Uh, just part of singing... Uh, well, actually, they're, they're not singing this song. Yeah, I've made mention of that before. It, it's key here that while it says they sung a new song, uh, that's in reference to the elders and the beasts. But again, remember, because we've mentioned this before, that angels do not sing. They say. And that's key here, verse 11, when it points them out, it says, And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beasts and the elders. And then it talks about the number. But look at verse 12. It says, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. So the angels are not singing. They're saying. So going back to who the singers are, uh, I have to actually fix that. It's, it's the elders and the beasts. The four beasts and the four and twenty elders are the ones doing the singing. And we need to make sure to keep that straight because, I, like I said before, a lot of people assume angels sing. Angels don't sing. Nowhere in the Bible does it actually. They're with people who are singing. And that's where a lot of the assumption comes from. But they're not one singing. Uh, they're the ones saying. So there's the singers and then the sayers. <laughs> And we end up with that at the end of this. Um, so we talked about uh, the diversity. Now their universality is mentioned in verse uh, 13 down through uh, 14. Uh, it mentions every creature in heaven, every creature on earth, every creature under the earth, every creature um, in the sea, and all that, and all that are in them. Uh, basically, everything in the sea or on the sea. Uh, and in Philippians 2, 9 through 11 references that, it says, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. All right, so uh, that brings us to the end of our study of chapter 5. And in our next one, we'll obviously start in chapter 6. And th this is a uh, another, um, let's see how we break this up, because that begins another subdivision. Yeah, chapter 4 and 5 
uh, we're in this, the, 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 I broke the book of Revelation up into four parts. We're in that third one, the visions of government, which is chapter 4 all the way through the end of chapter 20. And then there's two sections under that, the first one being the supreme source of divine government. That's chapter 4 and chapter 5. Well, chapter 6 through 20 talks about the sublime course of divine government. And, and it is, it, there's a lot of events going on with that, so that's why it takes so many chapters to, to uh, break it down and, and tell us what all is going on. So that will be the sublime course of divine government in our next study there. All right, so uh, thank you once again for listening. Uh, I do appreciate the comments and, and uh, uh, the notes that are left on here to me. Um, still uh, at 11 different countries that are listening to this podcast, which just blows my mind. <laughs> I wish I wish I was more... Uh, and I'll be honest with you, I wish I was more dedicated to put more of these blogs on or, or episodes on at least once a day. That was my goal, but, uh, you know, I just got so much going on. It, I had I try to get as many on as I can in a certain time, and then there's this big gap. So I apologize for that, but I'm trying to get this whole bo entire book of Revelation on here. Uh, it, there's so much information. I mean, it's going to take a while, but hopefully we can get it. Uh, we can persevere. We just stick with it and get it done, right? All right, so uh, once again, thank you for listening, and hopefully we'll uh, hear from you on the next podcast. God bless you.